You are listening to Episode 10 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 21, Taken Tanith slept soundly, her slumbers untroubled by ravens or other odd dreams. If she dreamed at all, she didn't remember it as she slowly swam up from the warm depths of sleep and surfaced on the gray light of morning. She stretched in her bedroll and glanced around the cottage. The children were still sleeping, although they'd shifted position in the night, and small hands and heads protruded at odd angles from beneath their blankets. Megan's bed was empty, but her boots were gone. Tanith felt the call of the privy herself, but stretched and stirred the fire before slipping on her boots. The bed of coals quickly ignited dry kindling, and Tanith had a small but cheery blaze going before she needed to yield to the inevitable. She grabbed a tunic from her pack and slipped it on for extra warmth before bracing herself for the morning chill. She slipped a latch on the door and scooted out, closing it quickly behind her to keep as much of the warm air contained within as possible. She dashed for the privy, her boots leaving a scuffed trail on the dew-sodden grass. She got there and tended to her morning business before the reality hit her. Megan wasn't there. Tennis world tilted slightly as she realized the fact. Megan wasn't in her bed and wasn't in the privy. A cold chill that had nothing to do with the weather leached down her spine. She hurriedly refastened her clothing and bolted out the door. The children were in the house, alone, asleep, and undefended. She ran headlong into the chest and arms of a burly man who lifted her in a bear hug, squeezing her so tightly she couldn't get enough breath to shout. His breath stank as he grunted from the effort of holding her tightly and lifting. He leered at her, and she saw it was the man she'd knocked down, one of Birchwood's men, and she suspected that others were nearby. He started shuffling around the side of the privy, and Tanith knew she had only moments before one of his compatriots would come to help him, or she'd black out from not being able to suck in a breath. Her arms were pinned, but her head and legs were free. She arched her back as if trying to pull away from a stinking breath. He chortled softly at the feeling of the squirming woman before she flexed her back in the other direction and drove her forehead into his nose. More than one overly lustful bravo had thought a small woman on her own made for an easy target. Somehow they never counted on her having her own ideas about that, nor on the wiry strength and determination she'd need to see those ideas through. He released her and grabbed at his spurting nose in reflex, the pain centering right between his piggy little eyes. She fell to the wet ground but slipped on the grass, falling heavily onto her backside, the position presented her with the ideal target. She let herself fall all the way onto her back, and then brought both feet up, and drove the heels of her boots into his crotch. He was a burly man, and she was not a large woman, but steely bands of muscle wrapped her legs, developed while walking back and forth across the countryside for two decades. Her kick lifted him off his feet and dropped him on his back, unable to even whimper. She heard scuffling in the brush behind the privy, rolled out into the open, getting her feet under her and drawing in a lungful of air. She bellowed, No! with all the power in her diaphragm. There was supposed to be a guard out there somewhere. William and one of the quarrymen were watching the grounds, but tucked away at the back of the village, Megan's house and the privy were out of the main lines of sight. The bravo on the ground managed to curl himself into a ball around his crushed dainties, but could only whimper while his nose bubbled blood as he writhed. She scrambled to her feet and headed for the iron hoop to sound the alarm, but William and Carl came pelting around the edge of the hut, skidding on the dew-slicked grass moments before Thomas tore out of his house, shirtless against the cold, but bow strung and drawn. Tanith pointed to where the sound had come from, 
They've got Megan. I heard them in the woods there. William and Carl dashed into the undergrowth while Thomas covered the man on the ground and looked at Tanith. Are you all right, Mum? She nodded, sucking air into her bruised lungs. They could hear William and Carl crashing through the woods, but it was obvious they found nothing. After a few minutes of thrashing about, they came back to find Thomas, with a blade poised at the fallen man's eye, holding his attention while Tanith bound his hands behind him with his own belt. The man's eyes were wide with pain and fear. He lay curled around his damaged groin, and the small, high-pitched grunting sounds seemed out of place coming from a man his size. Carl looked at the Bravo and then at Tanith as she put the finishing touches on his lashings. What did you do to him, Mum? Carl blurted the question, fear tinging his voice. She stood up and dusted off her hands. She looked down at the bound man for a moment. I think I might have broken his nose, and then I kicked his worthless balls up into his chest somewhere. Her crude words sounded oddly flat and out of place in the clear morning air, but she was in no mood for the niceties of sparing tender male sentimentalities. I think they've got Megan. William focused on that. What makes you think so, Mum? A vision? When I woke up, she wasn't in her bed. I thought she'd probably just gone to the privy, but I had time to stoke up the fire and get it going before I came out myself. She wasn't in there, and when I came out, I ran into this thing. She kicked him none too gently in the kidney. He tried to take me back there into the bushes, but I got loose. I could hear others back there, but I couldn't see them. She looked around at the staring men. I figure he caught her the same way he caught me, and they took her off with him when they ran away. William nodded to Thomas, who sheathed his knife and slipped almost silently around the privy and into the woods behind. William crouched down to the wheezing, moaning man on the ground, turned his head to one side to get a good look at his face. His eyes narrowed as he thought. Josh, right? Josh the Kosh? The man managed a small, if erratic, nod, but seemed unable to focus too well. William stood up. Well, Josh, I'm guessing it'll be a long time before you go swinging that nightstick of yours again. He turned to Carl. Would you go collect Jakey? Tell him what's happened, get the rest of the boys. When Thomas picks up their trail, we'll be going after Megan. Carl hurried off toward Jakey's house. William turned to Tanith. You sure you're all right, Mum? She looked up at him. I'm a little bruised about the ribs, but I'm okay, William. Thank you. She looked around at the women and children who'd come out to see what all the commotion was. We should get him under cover and clear this path, though. You concerned for his health after what he tried to do, Mum? William had a look of incredulity on his face. In a way, I don't want anybody to hurt him until we have Megan back. We may need to convince him to tell us where they're camped. When he can talk again. William looked down at him and around at the angry faces that were beginning to press closer. I take your meaning, Mum. Jakey came running over with his wife in tow. He'd had time to put on boots and clothes, but he'd obviously left the house in a hurry. He was still buttoning his shirt when he arrived. He took in the scene. What you got there, William? Now, this here is Josh Williston. They called him Josh the Kosh back in Overton. He's one of the boyos that was riding with Andy Birchwood. Jakey leaned over to examine the man closely. He seems a mite worse for wear. What'd you do to him? William shook his head. Nothing. Mother Fairport here took him down and tied him up. Jakey's eyes bulged a bit, and he turned to regard the small woman still standing over the mewling man. You, Mum? Yep. Hard for a man to stand with crushed knackers. Takes the fight out of him quite nicely. Jakey winced. Are you okay, Mum? She gave a half shrug. I'll be better when we get Megan back. Jakey nodded. Carl said they'd gotten her. He turned to William. What's your plan? William jerked his head toward the woods. Thomas is looking for their trail now. When he finds it, we'll go in and get her back. Well, let me round up the crew. What's left of it? We'll go with you. Thomas nodded. Tanith narrowed her eyes. 
What do we do with this one? She nudged him with her boot again. William reached down and grabbed him by the collar. Jakey, give me a hand here, will you? We need to get him over the barracks house so we can watch him. Jakey looked down at the hapless Josh once more. He's really not going to walk anywhere soon, you think? William shook his head. Nope. Jakey nodded and grabbed on beside William. Together they dragged him off around the corner and down between the rows of houses. When the men had gone, Amber and Sadie rushed to Tanith's side. You sure you're okay, Mom? Amber looked very concerned. Tanith took a deep breath. I've been worse, but I'll feel a whole lot better when we get Megan back and these thugs leave us alone. Sadie joined them, and Tanith looked back at Megan's house. We need to take care of the kids until we know. Amber and Sadie nodded solemnly. Amber patted Tanith's arms. We'll get all the kids together at my house today. Don't you worry, Mom. We'll take good care of them. Tanith began to feel the strength in her legs waning rapidly. She turned and went back into Megan's house with the younger women in tow. She sat down heavily on her bedroll as Amber and Sadie bundled up the three wide-eyed children. On their way out, the small blonde girl, Tanith remembered her name was Sandy, stopped and turned to Tanith. You'll watch over us all, won't you, Mum? Tanith smiled and swallowed back a lump. I'll try, sweetly. I'll certainly try. The little girl smiled beatifically. Thank you, Mum. That's all we can ask. She rejoined her sibs, and they all trooped out following Sadie. Amber paused at the door. Will you be all right, Mum? I shouldn't leave you alone. Her voice trailed off. Tanith shook her head. I'll be fine, my dear. Put the kettle on, and I'll be along for a cup of tea in a moment. Amber hesitated, but did as she was bid and left the house, closing the door behind her. Tanith pulled her knees up to her chest and placed her forehead on them, then prayed to the All-Mother for guidance and protection. Chapter 22. A Faint and a Fire No matter how hard Tanith tried, the edge of sleep was as elusive as the wave on the shore, slipping close and lapping her feet, but always receding again. For the first time since she'd seen through the raven's eyes, she found herself desperately desiring a vision, instead of fearing it. She heard the men mustering behind the house, pulled herself up wearily, and went to see what was happening. Amber had the same idea, and the two women converged on the gathering just as Thomas slipped back out of the woods, his face grim. William nodded to him. Find a trail? Thomas held up a scrap of fabric. Was caught on a limb. Trail's there, but it's rough. They're headed south and not very far ahead. Are we ready to move? He looked to William. William looked at his assembled party of quarrymen. Jakey nodded, and the others looked grimly eager to be off. William turned to Amber. Josh is tied to the cot in the barracks house. He should be okay till we get back. He spared a glance for Tanith. You really did a job on him, Mum. Yes. She smiled in a way that had nothing to do with humor. More than one have thought a little woman like me was easy plucking in the last twenty winters. His breath huffed out in a single laugh at that, but he turned back to his wife. They'll be running and we'll be behind him, so you should be safe enough here, but keep everybody in the house and together until we get back, okay? She reached up to give him a quick peck on the cheek. You'll be careful. He just nodded, his mind already on the trail ahead. He turned to Thomas. Go. The men slipped into the undergrowth, and in moments there was no sound at all except for the wind in the treetops and the morning birds chirping in the brush. I'll go get Charlotte and Bethany. Why don't you go get warm in front of the fire, Mum? I will. Just let me pick up my things a bit and finish getting dressed. She looked down at her clothing mostly just bits and pieces she'd thrown on against the morning chill. Amber grinned. You've had a full morning, Mum. Yes, and I haven't had my tea. 
No wonder I'm grumpy. Her tone was vaguely self-mocking. It's not good to accost me on the way back from the privy before I've had my tea. Amber's giggle sparkled merrily in the light of the rising sun. No, Mum, I can see that. The reality of their grim situation reasserted itself and the two went their separate ways, Tanith to collect her bedroll and pack, Amber to check on the remaining women and children. In the house, Tanith pulled the kettle back from the fire and banked what few coals were left. With all the excitement, it had almost burned itself out. In just a few moments, she'd stashed her extra clothing in her pack, fetched her belt knife from the bedroll, and rolled the bedroll into a loose ball. She didn't bother to attach it to the pack, but just looped the pack over one arm, clapped her hat on her head, took staff in hand, and grabbed the bedroll under the other arm for the short walk across the grass. When she entered the hut, Sadie had the children all sitting in a circle playing a game that involved hand-clapping and a complicated progression of patterns. It seemed to make them all fall into gales of giggles whenever one of them missed and they had to start over. Tanith propped her pack in the corner and plunked the bedroll in front of it for a seat. As she started to settle on it, Sadie hurried over, and before she knew it, Tanith found herself sitting in the place of honor on the hearthstone, holding an earthenware mug of hot tea. You just rest there, Mum. We'll have something hot for breakfast soon as Amber gets back. On cue, Amber scurried down into the house alone. Rebecca, Bethany, and Charlotte have barricaded themselves in with their kids up there. Probably just as well. Sadie nodded at the alarmingly large pile of children on the floor. It's going to get noisy enough in here before the morning's out with just this lot. Her smile was warm, even if her tone was gruffly resigned. The lot in question dissolved into shrieking laughter again as their clapping pattern was broken once more, and they started all over again. The two younger women bustled around the fire, heating water and warming a pot of stew for breakfast. They smeared soft cheese on slices of bread and broke into the circle of clapping children to hand out skewers of bread that they could warm for themselves over the coals at the edge of the hearth. Initial tasks completed, the women stepped back and let the kids get close to the coals. There was the usual jockeying for position and the requisite number of burned and dropped pieces of bread, but all in all, the morning progressed in good order. Amber saw Tanith watching the operation with a faintly amused expression on her face. It's slow, Mom, but it keeps them occupied for a bit, she smiled. Tanith returned the smile, including Sadie and her gaze. You two are going to be wonderful innkeepers. Sadie shook her head. Not me, Mom. That's all Amber's headache. I don't want nothing to do with it. Amber laughed. I'm going to make you a bread oven, the likes of which you've only dreamed of. You see if I don't. The way Sadie's eyes lit up for a moment before she caught the handle on her enthusiasm made Tana think that Amber knew her friend very well indeed. They sat quietly and sipped their tea while the gaggle of children finished toasting and sometimes burning their bread and cheese. After a few minutes, Sadie turned to Tanith. Do you really think we'll have an inn here, Mum? Really? Well, why wouldn't you? There's not that many travelers on the pike, Mum. I got my doubts as to whether or not we could make a go of it. Tanith gave a little half-shrug. You won't really know until you try, will you? Sadie shrugged back. I guess so, Mum. Just seems like a lot of work for something that might not pan out in the end. Tanith looked back and forth between the two younger women. What's the worst that can happen? The town gets a big building where you can all gather. If guests come to stay, then good. If not, then you still have the building for days when it's raining or snowing. The two looked at each other and nodded. Amber's mouth turned up a little at the corners. It would be nice to have some place bigger than this little house to gather in. She eyed the crowded corners and small floor space. The only place that was really clear was where Tanith realized the root cellar must be. They laughed gently at Amber's wistful tone. Tanith nodded at the children. As this lot gets older and bigger, 
You're going to need something to keep them busy. Who knows? In a few winters, you'll have all the staff you need right there. Amber and Sadie looked a bit startled at that notion, but the idea soon settled onto them, and they both nodded slightly in agreement. The children finished burning breakfast and returned to their places on the floor. The game of clapping and laughing began again. They made a lot of noise, but it was happy noise, and the adults settled down to bowls of stew and hanks of bread, and another round of tea before the day's work really began. The game reached a breaking point quickly, but instead of dissolving into peals of laughter, two of the children began squabbling. Tanith didn't even have a chance to figure out which two before Sadie shouted, Stop! If you can't play nice, you'll have to do chores. Sandy piped up. But he was... Sadie raised a hand, palm out. Tut! The children silenced immediately. No tails, no tattle, if you can't get along. She left the unstated threat hanging in the air and let the children imagine something worse than she could reasonably threaten. She started to say something else, but in the silence another sound reached them, a low rumbling sound. Sadie turned to Amber. Thunder, this time of year? Tanith was already moving. Horses. She grabbed her staff and headed for the front door before anybody else could move. She burst through the door, even as the three riders carrying burning torches galloped up the path from the pike. One was headed right for her, but she raised her staff and shouted in the horse's face. The horse shied away. The rider held on and glared at her as the horse wheeled, but he got the animal under control and spurred it toward Sadie's house instead. Tanith recognized Andrew Birchwood. He galloped up to the front door, kicked the door open from where he sat, and tossed his burning torch through the opening. Behind her, Tanith heard Sadie gasp and glanced to see her start to run towards her home. Amber stopped her as Birchwood drew steel and wheeled his horse back in their direction. Where is he? His voice was harsh and his face clouded in red anger. Tanith barked a laugh. You should have asked that before you started torching houses. Birchwood reined up, disconcerted for a moment, and Tanith swung her staff at his sword hand. The horse wheeled and she missed, but it put the man even more off balance. A shout echoed from across the village. Here! Birchwood spared a glance for the women and then charged across to where his men were helping Josh the Kosh up out of the house. The crippled man was still not able to stand upright on his own, but the two on the ground hefted him over the saddle of a riderless horse like a sack of grain. One tossed the reins to Birchwood, who had sheathed his sword, and he caught the leather, trotting his horse back the way they'd come, while the other two double-mounted the remaining horse and followed. Victorious grins plastered across their faces. As they rode away, Tanith bolted toward Sadie's house and skidded through the door into the fire. The torch had landed right in the middle of one of the woven grass mats, and the fire had a good hold. The high peak was filling with smoke, but the ground level was still relatively clear. Sadie and Amber ran in behind her, and Sadie started to grab a woolen blanket from the cot, but Amber shouted, No, help me! Between them, they lifted the burning mat and dragged it out onto the grass before anything else caught fire. The billowing smoke from around the village told them they weren't going to be as lucky with the rest of the houses. Charlotte and Bethany came running around the corner, and the five women headed back toward Megan and Harry's house. But the torch there had done its work. The flames were licking out of the open door. Tanith ran up to the open door and pulled it shut to try to slow the fire spread. They ran past to the next house, but it was unoccupied. The torch had fallen on bare earth and posed no risk. Buckets. Tanith was panting now, and the others stared numbly at her. We might be able to save something. Get buckets. Water. They scattered, and Tanith headed for the pump. Riley. Riley. Come to me, boy. Riley. A stout lad lanced out of the back door of Amber's house as fast as his solid little legs could carry him. Tanith pointed at the pump. Keep the water going, lad. Just keep pumping. Amber was the first back with two buckets, and Sadie was right behind her. 
Tanith helped Riley get the pump going, and then she grabbed a bucket herself. They started running back and forth from the pump to Megan's back door, tossing bucket after bucket into the heart of the fire and splashing water around as quickly as they could. Charlotte and Bethany returned and added their muscles and buckets as well. The cold water did the trick, and they began to beat the fire back, slowly at first. Then suddenly it was over. Tanith looked around at her soot-smeared brigade, taking stock. Has anybody hurt? Amber pointed to Tanith, where a burn welted up the skin of her lower arm. Just you, Mum, I think. Tanith looked at the burn and felt its sting, but it was superficial. I'll be all right. Where are the children? Riley's voice piped up from outside. Here, Mum. Riley had them all lined up in order of age, outside by the well. They helped me pump. Tanith smiled at the pride in his voice. Good job, everyone. The exhausted women practically crawled out of the fire-ravaged hut, coughing a bit from the smoke and stinking of burned wool. They collapsed on the grass, muscles trembling from the exertion and gulping clean morning air. The wide-eyed children gathered round and settled between and among them, some cuddling, some demanding reassurance, and others offering it. Young Riley stood at the open door and peered down into the blackened ruin. After a period of careful consideration, he turned to the assembled party, jerked his thumb at the open door. Boy, Miss Megan is going to be mad when she sees that mess. The women all dissolved into gales of laughter, and their relief echoed through the forest and sailed on the last wisps of smoke up into the blue morning sky. Chapter 23. Recovery. Tanith was the first to leap to her feet when Thomas and the quarrymen came crashing through the forest. The men skidded to a stop and surveyed the women and children, eyeing the burnt-out house and trying to see everything at once. Thomas spoke first. Is everybody all right? We're all fine. Singed a little here and there, but they got Josh, and this house is probably not going to be habitable. She jerked her head in the direction of the burned hut. Where's Megan? William's bringing her along. When he saw the smoke, he sent us ahead. Is she all right? Amber looked concernedly at the children. Little Sandy stepped forward. Yes, Mr. Hawthorne, is my mum all right? Thomas went down on one knee to look her in the eye. Yes, Sandy, she's fine, just a little shaken up, and she can't move as fast through the woods as we can. She flung her arms around his neck and hugged him. Thank you, Mr. Hawthorne. When she stepped back, Thomas grinned, stood, and crossed to the burned-out house. He surveyed it from the door, but didn't step in. William and Megan aren't too far behind us. He looked around at the group sprawled out on the grass. I'll be interested to hear how this all happened when they get here. The men drew water from the pump and took long drinks, but conversation lagged as everybody just breathed and tried to cope with what had happened. In a few minutes, William and Megan came out of the woods, winded and looking around frantically. Megan was scratched, looked a bit worse for wear. William's eyes scanned the crowd looking for Amber, and relief washed across his face when his eyes picked her out of the group on the ground. Megan gave a cry and ran to her three children, throwing herself onto the ground to hug them all into her arms. She burst into tears then, held them, rocking them all awkwardly in her embrace. The children tried to comfort the woman as she held them and slowly got herself under control. Sandy finally managed to pull back a little bit. You're okay now, Ma. We're here, you're here, and Da, he'll be back soon when we can make a new house. A new house, Poppet. Megan scrubbed the tears off her face with her fingers and looked intently at the soot-streaked face in front of her. What she was seeing finally registered, and she looked at her house, for the first time really taking in the smoke streaks above the door and the wisps that still wafted upwards from the trapped smoke in the peak of the roof. 
Something in her face sagged for a moment, but she recovered almost instantly and looked from child to child to child. Is anybody hurt? You're all right, aren't you? Sandy nodded. Yes, we're fine, Mum. Mother Fairport chased them off and then put the fire out. She smiled. We helped pump. William looked in the door at the damaged house and turned to address them. So now we know. They got Josh, I take it? Tanit spoke for them all. Yes. They threw him over a horse and rode off down the pike after setting fire to the house. They threw three torches, but this is the only one that caught. Thomas and Sadie need a new floor mat, though. William nodded and exchanged glances with Thomas. I was afraid of something like this when we found Megan in the woods. Thomas nodded his agreement. The horses were stashed there for a fast getaway, but they had to change their plans when Josh got caught. He nodded respectfully to Tanith. Thank you for that, Mom. Tanith looked back to William. Now what do you think they'll do? William's face hardened. If they're smart, they'll keep riding. If they come back here, they won't be getting as civil a welcome as they got the last time. Are they smart? I'm afraid they think they're smart enough to get away with it. He sighed and looked at the sun. Let's get this cleaned up and see if we can help Megan and the kids get settled in another house. He smiled sympathetically. Is there one you'd fancy, Meg? I'm afraid this one won't be livable for a while. Thomas snorted. If ever. Tanith caught William's eyes with a nod to the burned house. If you took that house down altogether and built the inn up here near the pump, it would make getting water to the inn a lot easier. You wouldn't have to lug water down or dig another well. She shrugged. Frank and I were talking about it the night before he left. She looked at Sadie and Thomas. You'd have to move too, but then both these houses could come down and the inn could go right here. She held out her arms to indicate the space. Frank seemed to think it was a good place and got the inn back off the road a bit. Thomas was following the description, but Sadie got caught up in the idea of moving. But then we'd be further from the water. William nodded at her. True, but the inn would need the most, so having the inn handy to the water makes sense. Amber nodded her agreement as well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think we'd have to move, too. I don't think I'd like to have my house that close to the inn. William grinned. Actually, my heart, I think you and I will be living in the inn by the time it's done. Somebody will need to. Jakey spoke up for the first time since breaking out of the woods. Having it back here would make it easier to protect the water supply and would also be closer to the barn. They all turned to look at him. He seemed a little startled by the attention for a change, but continued with a shrug. Most folks will be coming with horses. They'll want the animals cared for as well. He smiled. A silver for a place on the common room. Three pennies for the horse in the barn. Four if they want grain. William huffed a quick laugh, but Thomas nodded. I think that's what they charge at Mossport. Jakey grinned. Maybe we should make it more then. William raised his hands to break into the discussion. Okay, we've got too much planning with too little doing. First things first. He turned to Megan and the children. Which house do you want? There's several empty. Megan looked a little bit lost. I don't know, Will. I've never considered moving before. Tana smiled and held out her hand. Well, why don't you and the kids move in with me for a bit in Mother Alderton's house? When Harry gets back, you can decide together what you want to do. Megan took the hand and Tanith pulled the younger woman up off the ground. Thank you, Mom. I'd feel much safer with you. Tanith snorted bitterly. I didn't do you much good this morning, dearie. Megan smiled with a shake of her head. No, you saved my life this morning, Mom. They'd have killed me or worse if you hadn't stopped Josh. The boss man there had a lot to say about it while we was running through the woods. Tanith raised her eyebrows. Really, hon? What happened? Megan shuddered a little but dug in. They grabbed me just as I came out of the privy, caught me by surprise, and that big one crushed me to his chest. I couldn't breathe to yell. Tanith nodded in sympathy. He did that to me, too. 
I was back there in the bushes by the time you came out. They had me trussed up like a solstice goose, except for my legs. She stopped for a minute, swallowed before continuing. Anyway, one guy, they called him Mort. He was just inside the tree line, waiting. I couldn't see what you did, Mom, but it upset them something terrible. She smiled in satisfaction. That's when we turned and headed into the woods. I tried to hold him back, but the big one, Mort, he just picked me up and threw me over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes, and we headed further and further into the forest. Thomas nodded. That's why I couldn't find your tracks among the others. She shrugged. A few hundred yards into the woods, their boss man ripped a bit of dress from my hem and hung it on a bush. That's when we really started moving fast. We got to where they left the horses. Mort started to put me on a horse, but the boss had him tie me to a tree. I didn't understand why they went to all the trouble to kidnap me and then leave me out in the wilds. William raised his hands to indicate the smoldering wreckage of her house. You were supposed to keep us busy, so we didn't have a chance to interfere with their rescue. They probably planned to hold you hostage, but had to change their plans a bit when Josh got caught. They drew us off so they could come back and get him. Megan nodded at the burned house. It seems to have worked. She walked over to it and stared in at it a little sadly. Do you think we can save much? Tanith came to stand beside her while the rest of the women gathered around. We fought hard enough. I think you'll be able to salvage most of it. You'll smell like smoke for a time, but only a few things got burned. William headed up towards the barn. I'll get the barrow. Meg, you start handing stuff out and we'll help you carry what you can to Mother Fairport's house. Tanis spoke up then. Do you have any spare floor mats? We never got around to laying fresh ones down when I moved in. Might be good to do that before we start dragging goods around. Amber nodded. Good thinking. She fell in with William. There's some in the workroom. I'll load a few on the barrow and we'll bring them over to you. Tanith nodded and helped Megan down the fire-damaged steps into the soggy mass that had been her home. Megan wrinkled her nose and waved a hand in front of her face. Oh, the stinks. She crossed the house and opened the front door. The morning breeze swept through and started clearing the air a bit more. Megan stood with hands on hips and surveyed the damage. As she looked, she seemed to take strength. Right. Well, Sandy, you watch your brothers and stay close to the house. I will, Mama. Thank you, sweetling. That'll help me the most. Riley came to the door and stuck his head in. What can I do to help, Miss Megan? She smiled up at the boy. You just keep an eye on the children, Riley. We don't want anybody wandering off. Okay, Mum. He grinned and started hurting the other children like a sheepdog. Megan grinned and shrugged up to where the other women were looking into the house. That might have been a mistake. They laughed, and Sadie waited down to give Megan a hand while the rest went around to the front door so they'd have the shortest walk to the new house. Tanith tapped on Matthew's shoulder. If you've a mind to help, we could move my goods out of the way to make room for the new mats. Oh, I, Mum. He smiled and followed in her wake as she crossed the yard. She stopped and picked up her staff where she dropped it in the grass when they'd started fighting the fire. If she leaned on it rather more heavily than normal, Matthew didn't seem to notice. Tanith had trouble thinking of the young man as much more than a boy, but he was certainly strong enough and more than willing in his assistance. In her hut, she took the oil lamp and other small things off the table and placed them up on the mantel board to get them out of harm's way. Matthew helped her move the table and chairs onto the hearthstone to free the floor space. They opened the back door and slid the rope-bound cot out onto the grass behind the house just as Amber and William showed up with the barrow full of floor mats. With Matthew and William to help wrestle the awkward bundles out of the barrow and onto the floor, the job was done in a matter of minutes. They moved the table and chairs back off the hearthstone but left it closer to the hearth than it had been originally. She left the oil lamp up on the mantel. No sense tempting fate. She muttered it to herself, but Matthew grunted in agreement. 
Amber sent William up to Megan's to pick up a load, and she stood in the middle of the house. Tannis smiled gently at the younger woman's almost proprietary survey. Amber looked shyly at Tannis. You know, Mom, this would be a good time to bless the house. It's as empty as it's going to be, and it's changing spirits, so to speak. Her voice petered out. Tannis pursed her lips and considered it. That's a good idea. She looked through the herbs she'd harvested and set to dry, but none of them were suitable. She remembered a bundle in the cast-offs and crossed to the pile of dry and dusty materials she hadn't yet had a chance to dispose of. She rummaged through it and pulled up a bundle of sage, brittle on the ends and edges, but still solid enough in the middle to be useful. She smiled and held it up. Aha! Matthew's eyes grew round, and even Amber looked a bit surprised. Tanith frowned slightly at them. What? Is there something the matter? Matthew and Amber shared a glance. No, Mom, they said it almost in unison. Why are you looking like that, then? Matthew glanced at Amber before speaking. You're not going to do magic here, are you, Mom? Should I leave? Tana smiled. Not magic, no. You can leave if it makes you uncomfortable, but don't feel like you need to. Amber frowned. What are you going to do with that, Mom? And what is it? Isn't this what Mother Alderton used to bless a house? Amber shrugged. I don't know, Mom. It might be. Well, this is sage. Tanith turned to the hearth and laid a fire, but didn't light it immediately. She took the bundle of very dry sage and placed it on the hearthstone before pulling the steel and flint from her pocket. She struck three sparks into the end of the bundle and blew on them until they caught. The dusty herbs gave off a pungent smudge. Tanith chuckled to herself. Just what I need. More smoke. Amber was standing close enough to hear her mutter, and she choked back a laugh. Tanith grinned at her and picked up the smoldering bundle. She took it to the north side of the hut, to the middle of the wall, where the back door was open onto the narrow bit of cleared land before the forest. She held up the bundle in front of her, and a line of smoke curled up to the rafters. Guardian of the north, bones of the earth, protect this place from evil. She walked the perimeter of the room to the east and stopped in front of the fireplace, which made up most of the narrower east wall. Guardian of the east, breath of the earth, protect this place from evil. She continued around to stand in front of the front door, facing south and looking out onto the narrow track that led up into the village. Guardian of the South, Spirit of the Earth, protect this place from evil. She went to the plain west wall and held the bundle up once more. Guardian of the West, Blood of the Earth, protect this place from evil. She walked back around to where she began and made a swirl of smoke in the air as if tying a knot. By my will and with the smoke I bind this place once and beg the protection of the guardians. She walked around the circuit again, stopping at each cardinal point and making a similar swirl of smoke until she'd returned to the north. By my will and with this smoke I bind this place twice and beg the protection of the All-Father upon this house. She walked around once more, pausing again and leaving a trail of pungent herbal smoke in her wake. By my will... And with this smoke, I bind this place thrice, and beg the blessings of the All-Mother upon all who live within. She took the bundle of sage to the hearth and blew on it until it flared from glowing smolder into bright fire. With earth and air and fire and water, I beg the blessings of the All-Mother upon this hearth and all that shelter before it. She tossed the burning sage into the prepared shavings. The fire caught the shavings and spread easily into the dried kindling beyond. Tanith finished the ritual by dipping her hand in the water bucket and flipping a few drops of water onto the hearthstone. 
where they showed dark for a moment against the dry rock. So mote it be. She stood for a moment and admired her handiwork before drying her hands off on the seat of her pants and turning back to Amber and Matthew. They stood transfixed, staring at her. Matthew's mouth did not exactly hang open, but he looked at once dazed and totally focused. What is it? You two look like you've seen a haunt or something. Amber blinked back from wherever her mind had taken her. That was wonderful, Mom. I've never seen a blessing like that before. Why? What did Mother Alderton do? Amber shrugged. She just stood at the threshold and said, Bless this house and all who live here. Tanith grinned. Well, that seems to have worked for her. She looked about the house. I learned this from Mother Williton, I think it was. She used to really get into blessing houses. She'd use salt and fire and water. Tanith chuckled at the memory. It could take her a half a day sometimes to get through all the prayers when she did it for somebody else. I stayed with her one whole winter. When it came time to do her own house, she always cleansed it with burning sage. Tanith shrugged. I think she'd just like to put on a show for her customers. Amber and Matthew laughed, taken off guard by her frank appraisal of the mystical. She smiled, satisfied, and felt more at home in the small hut already. She saw William bring the first load of goods down for Megan's house, and they all jumped up to help him. Some of the goods, like blankets and clothing, were left out to air a bit, while others came right in. Tanith arranged the furnishings the way she remembered Megan's house, hoping to make the younger woman feel more at home. She knew it wasn't going to be an easy time until Harry returned, but she vowed to herself to make it as easy as she knew how. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Dorandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com. Thank you.